0: Um, If you have a Bible, please open it to James chapter 3. You'll find the notes this morning's message in the bulletin. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find the text um, on the back of the bulletin and actually in the notes. I just cut and paste it right in. Um, We are at a tremendously practical and important passage in the book of James. Um, This is probably one of uh, a handful of passages that is most had to chip and chisel away at my many a rough feature. I've got much mileage out of this passage in my own life, um, and uh, I trust our study this morning will be profitable. Let's read James three thirteen to eighteen. We won't make it all the way through verse eighteen this morning, but we'll begin by reading James chapter three, verses thirteen to eighteen. Give us more and more wisdom that we might walk in a manner worthy of our calling. I pray, particularly this morning, Lord, that you would help us to identify and esteem your wisdom and to identify and cringe away from the wisdom of this world. And that you, in particular, you would guard us from being mistaken and lying against the truth. Lord, sanctify your people cause us to be a peacemaking meek people in jesus name amen now i've suggested to you that james chapter 3 all the way through 412 is one large section of the book and i would reiterate that and what ties it together are a couple of themes the most Clear is the issue of conflict and division and strife in the body. It's what dominates this section. The causes, as James goes after the causes, with the tongue, bitter springs. Here, the wisdom that creates strife and jealousy. Chapter 4, what causes conflicts among you leading to the call of repentance? And then finally, the particular case, stop slandering and gossiping. And speaking evil against each other. James is practically concerned with the harmony, the peace, and the body of Christ. This is not esoteric. We're talking about wisdom, but it's not up there. La-di-da in the sky. It is right here with us. Incredibly practical. Um, James's introduction um, keys off of... 3-1. Not many of you should become teachers. Now he asks the question, who is wise among you, my brothers? Which is a form of section heading that he uses five times in the book. This is the first of it. You can see it's nearly identical to how he phrases 4-1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? There's some more connections there. And so I'd have you begin this morning by asking the question, how do you identify Godly wisdom in people in the body of Christ. How, don't read ahead. You're going to know the answer. But, but how would you naturally? I think there's a corrective here. There certainly is for me. Of what I'm tempted to think wisdom looks like. And what God insists wisdom is. And so consider. How, how would you identify? He's not asking for the identity of the people. He's trying to describe them. It's a rhetorical question. Who among you is wise and understanding? So we're talking within the body of Christ, among professing believers, we're not talking about out there, but in here, in here, who among us is wise? How would you identify them? And there's a danger that we might misidentify. Um, now the first point I want to make here is this, wisdom is required of all Christians. If you're sitting here thinking, well, I can ch- check out because I don't claim to be one of those wise Christians, one of those leading Christians, um, you, you're, you're in for a Um, Corrective here James has already instructed all believers Who lack wisdom In the trials of this life Chapter 1 verse 5 To ask of God He must ask of God If any of you lacks wisdom So he's already told All of us across the boards Young and old Male and female Great and small We we must be asking God for wisdom But this pairing of words Wise and understanding Has an Old Testament pedigree it's the description. If you'll turn back to Deuteronomy, chapter one, it, it does, and it frequently does denote leading men, leading people. This is how Solomon is described. As you turn there, and, and as you turn to Deuteronomy one, in 1 Kings four twenty nine, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding. It's how the prophet Daniel is described. Um, And we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, that is also how Moses describes the leaders of his people. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. um, How Moses describing how the task of leadership was too great for him to exercise single handedly. How can I bear the weight and the burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men. And that's what they do. So wisdom and understanding is commonly a mark of leading men in the people of God. But turn to Deuteronomy 4. It's also meant to be a mark of all of God's people. Deuteronomy 4. In verses um, 5 and 6. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord, my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear of all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. God is expecting the entire nation of Israel, as they cleave to his word, as they live it out, to generate a reputation among the surrounding nations that they are a wise and understanding people. Um, To to add further to this, let me read to you one of the Apostle Paul's prayers. And what I'm trying to get across is all of us need to grow in wisdom. All of us need to aspire to wisdom. This isn't just for people who plan on leading, teaching, teaching, This is for all of God's people, even as it is a characteristic trait that is typified in in those who are leaders. Listen to Paul's prayer for the Colossians in chapter one. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's our two words. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. So Paul just says, since since he heard the Colossians' faith, he is just praying constantly. Once he's praying for God, give them wisdom so they can walk in a manner worthy. So wisdom is is for all Christians. It's to be pursued by all of us. This is a question that should have all of our attention. Uh, This should be something we're all listening to. It's not just for some. Wisdom is required of all Christians. And what James is doing in particular here is correcting false claims to wisdom. What's the, the flow of the argument's going to be, he's going to ask the question, he's going to give the first answer, and then he's going to give this condition. But if this is taking place, and notice what he says. Do not boast and be false to the truth. So what James is hypothesizing is a scenario where people who are not wise with God's wisdom are claiming they are. They're boasting. I know things. I have discernment. I am wise. And he wants it to stop. Stop it. So this is serving in part as a corrective. James doesn't know the particular churches he's writing to. He's writing to the scattered Christian churches, but he knows and assumes this is something all Christians are potentially going to make the error of. I'd assume we could make that same error as well. We may esteem some among us as wise, who according to God's standards are not. Some of us may esteem ourselves as wise, God forbid, and declare our wisdom and really be lying against the truth, and we would need to stop. that's that's the context he's writing to he wants to help us evaluate spot, identify wisdom properly that's his purpose in asking the opening question, who is wise and understanding among you and and so you can turn back to uh, to James now and in that it it ties in with the first verse of chapter 3 not many among you should become teachers he's not writing to the teachers, he's writing to the people who want to become teachers the people in the Broad congregation, aspiring to teaching. And here in the broad congregation, people who may consider themselves wise or who may be looking up to, thinking they're seeing wisdom when they're not. So the, the purpose of this morning's message, the purpose of this is to be able to identify, be able to tell them apart. They, they, they could not be more different in their source and in their fruit and their application so we ask the question, who is wise in understanding among you? And then he gives an exhortation. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let him, to me, seems a little weak. It's an imperative. He must. He must show. He must demonstrate. That word for show... It's the same word used in chapter 2, verse 18. If you turn there, look at chapter 2, 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Another thought that ties us all together is the clear unifying theme that just as faith, how do you prove Faith. Don't just tell me you have faith. How do you show me your faith? You show me by your works, right? Right there in 2:18. Pastor Daniel covered this. Faith is proven, demonstrated, it is justified, shown to be valid by works. And so too it goes with wisdom. You, you say you have wisdom, you think you know something. Show it by your life, by your good works. True wisdom's proof, good works. Which right off the bat starts to inform some of our definitions of what wisdom is. The temptation, and I'll I'll speak for myself, the temptation for me is because I know things, and I read things, and I've studied things, and I can talk eloquently about things. I think I know things. I think I have some wisdom, and, and that may fool some of you. James has no interest in a wisdom that's knowing things. I think knowing things may be part of wisdom, James is looking at the fruit of the life. How do you live your life? Which is a much more Jewish understanding of wisdom. If I had to sort of summarize wisdom simply from the Old Testament, it would be skillful living. Living well, living skillfully in accordance with reality. And, of course, God is the great reality. Living in accordance with him skillfully, wisely. I think that's the way James is viewing wisdom as well. Turn back to chapter 1 where he first mentions wisdom, right? chapter 1, verse 2, counteth all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So in the context here, what James is saying is trials strengthen and grow our endurance. And that endurance will yield a crop of maturity, will be mature and complete. But if on that process growing to maturity, we find we lack wisdom, and the context is in trials. We ask for God for wisdom. So the types of things J- James is assuming, I-, I need the wisdom to-, to honor a difficult-to-honor government. I need that wisdom. Some of you may need the wisdom to honor a difficult employer. Some children may need the wisdom to endure ungodly parents. Some wives may need the wisdom to honor dishonorable husbands. It's it's the wisdom to navigate through the trials of life that are maturing and growing. It's it's the wisdom to act in a godly way in a difficult world. That's wisdom, which is why James can say, so let's see it in your life. It it is not quoting things or knowing things or parsing Greek verbs. You show wisdom by good works. And again, James is, is simply repeating what his older half-brother said. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, who in Matthew eleven nineteen 19 said, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Luke 7, 35, wisdom is justified by all her children. And so the temptation for us is because we think we know things, or more concerning because we can say things or type things, that we don't look at our life And we become impressed with the things we know and the things we can say, the arguments we can make and win. And we conclude we're wise. That's not where James is pointing the camera. He's He's not interested in that. Show me your good conduct in life. That's what James says. It's against the same assumption of the logic of Colossians, the passage I read to you earlier. I'll read it again, see if you can pick up on this. From the day we heard of your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why does Paul want them to have all spiritual wisdom and understanding? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You need the wisdom you need to know how to live your life in a way pleasing to God. That's the wisdom you need. That's what James is defining as wisdom. So again, this is the beginning of framing. Who among us is wise? Those who can live godly in a perverse and sinful world. Those who can demonstrate good fruit in their lives and their conduct. That's, that's wisdom. Maybe the relationship between knowing things and doing things Simple illustration is this. Having a map or a GPS is an important component in skillfully navigating your route from point A to point B. But it's insufficient. It can be used improperly. It cannot be used at all. It can be left in the back seat. The test is, show me your navigation skills by getting from point A to point B. It will probably include using the map, using the GPS. Frequently, you need content. And other passages will insist on having the right content. You need to know the truth. James isn't dealing with that. James is dealing with You need to apply and live the truth. And if you're not living it and applying it, you don't know what you think you know. True wisdom's proof is good works. True wisdom's fruit, its fundamental mark, is gentleness and humility. Gentleness and humility. The Greek word translated in the ESV as meekness, some of your translations, humility, is a word that James has already used. If you look back to chapter 1, verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So let me read to you what one commentator, a former professor of mine, wrote. About this word, the, the Greek word is The example of Jesus actually defines the word for the rest of its use in the New Testament. Jesus Himself presented Himself as meek and lowly of heart. It is the character trait that is for the leaders that it, that is to be characteristic of leaders. The following definition seems balanced, and then Varner, Doctor Varner, quotes from the preeminent Greek lexicon. With this definition. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. That's fundamentally what's the idea of this word. Meekness, humility, gentleness. They're all coming in at it. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. And it gives these glosses. Gentleness, humility, courtesy, considerateness. Meekness. Perhaps you're beginning to see why this passage has been so applicable to me. It's okay, you can laugh. And I think we live in a culture that doesn't value or esteem very highly meekness. Um, Meekness... Courtesy, not thinking too much of yourself, not being gentle, considerate of other people in your approach. It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean dancing around on pins and needles. But it's what's characterized by our Lord Jesus. We, we tend, and at least with me, I, I, I want, I, what I view as wisdom are those mic drop moments that people can do. You know, you'll watch a debate or something and somebody just... Shut someone down and you just you mic drop. That may be appropriate and necessary at times. Delighting in it, longing for it, is not meekness. It's not meekness. Um, courtesy. Our, our political debates aren't usually marked by courtesy. Um, social media is all about getting you to say the most on fire, over the top thing you can. Say it now. What do you think? You'll never believe what they did when they found this out. I mean, the world's geared not towards meekness and courtesy, but the other way around. And so, James's challenge for us in, in how to evaluate wisdom, I, I think, certainly for me, and my, my, my needle drifts and I gotta recenter it, is a good life, meekness. Courtesy. Gentleness. That's, that's wisdom. And this is a recurring theme in the New Testament. Meekness, after all, is a fruit of the spirit. In Galatians 5.23. Which again is why this is not optional. This isn't just for would-be teachers and leaders. This is for all of us. Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen holy ones. Beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility. Meekness. And patience. Second Timothy two twenty-four. This is something that can even happen. And again, meekness is not weakness. We talked about the tongue needing to be under control. There are times where rebuke does need to happen. But even in those contexts, meekness is operative. Listen to Second Timothy two twenty-four to twenty-six. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That's our word. Translated here, gentleness. So you can, one at the same time, correct someone and do it in a spirit of meekness, gentleness, not being quarrelsome. They're not exclusive. Our Lord was always meek, even when he was having conflict with his adversaries. The temptation for us, I think, is to to so highly esteem those mountaintop moments where Baal is is having a showdown. The prophets of Baal with Elijah, and Elijah is one of those mic drop moments, doesn't he? He has that call on your God. Maybe he's in the bathroom. You <laughs> burn, right? And we can watch that from the sidelines and delight in that. But I guarantee you, if Elijah was thinking, "Man, I got him there," that would not be wisdom. Longing for it, looking for it. And so we, we, need to, we need to esteem rightly meekness, godliness. These are middle-of-the-road Christian values and virtues. Wisdom is, is indicated by this, by this. Um, there are other passages we can turn to, but we'll, we'll move forward here. So that's his first word on godly wisdom and how, what it looks like. Verses 17 and 18, we'll unpack it even further. Next week, we'll focus in almost exclusively on unpacking what that meekness looks like. But just, just read 17 and 18. This is what godly wisdom is, smells like, for lack of a better term. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We're going to unpack that next week. What he summarizes here as gentleness, the works of wisdom and gentleness. But James pauses going forward because he's afraid that something else might be going on. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. So now we're going to look at a contrasting examination of false wisdom, a contrasting examination of false wisdom. He's asked his question, who's wise? The one who's wise must show it by his works, good daily conduct and the meekness or the gentleness of wisdom. And James is concerned something else might be going on. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. So first thing to observe here. True wisdom must reside in your heart. True wisdom must reside in your heart. Again, it's it's moving away from this notion of knowing things. And rather being mastered by things. Being controlled by things. The heart is the seat of your immaterial being. It's where you think. It's where you reason. It's where you believe. It's where you value And the logic here is this, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and wisdom cannot both be on the throne of your heart at the same time. There's not room for both of them. James is going to say, if you've got the one, you don't have the other. It's that simple. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false or lie about the truth. It's one or the other. They're exclusive, either or. That's the logic. And so that then assumes wisdom is a matter of the heart, which of course the scriptures bear out listen to Proverbs 14:33. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. And secondly, these two traits that James names are the source of conflicts in the body. The reason why James can say so dogmatically and so confidently, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, uh-uh, you're not wise, stop talking. It's not as clear in our English translations, but those two words, and we'll talk about them in a moment, are the same words that are in chapter 4 verse 2. In Chapter 4, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions that are at war within you, you desire and you cannot have, and you um, covet and cannot obtain. The word for covet is the word for jealousy, zealous, and the word for desire is the word for selfish ambition. It's the verbal form. They shift from a noun to a verb, but it's, it's the same word group. And so anyone reading James would recognize he's declared them as the issues of the heart he's concerned with, and then he's going to show us in chapter 4 how it works. In fact, one of the ways you can consider how this passage moves forward is James is giving us the metastructure, wisdom from heaven, wisdom from hell, values of godly wisdom. He's worried about conflicts in the body. And then in chapter 4, we're going to see a case, this is how... Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition produces conflict. This is how it happened. We're going to zoom in. We're going to look at a case study of this. He's laying the foundation here for where he's going in four. Bitter jealousy. I want. And if you think about it in the context of wisdom and conflict, this is the the feelings that arise in my heart when I'm not going to let you get away with that. We're going to debate an argument. I'm not going to let you think you're smarter than me. I feel bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. I want people to think I'm smart. I want to be the mic drop guy. The guy who gives burns or at least can when he wants to. And James says, when that's in your heart, you need to shut up and stop lying about the truth. These two we'll see in a few weeks, are the things that are the very source of conflict in the body. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That's what I'm saying. There, there may be times. You can read the Elijah passage and how he, he speaks to the prophets of Baal. But if Elijah was a man of God, and I believe he was, he wasn't doing it for his own glory. I, I doubt he was even aware of the mic drop moment, so to speak. Um... And so you can watch it from the sidelines, but I can tell you, I, I can be tempted when I'm writing responses on Facebook to, to, to want to put an edge in, to want to appear clever, to want to be seen to be clever. My, my mother had a, has a saying we use with our children. I think it skipped a generation. I don't think you ever said it to me, but your father said it to you, and we say it to my kids an awful lot. I'll put it in my terms. Jeremy, Be good. And let others, if they will, be clever. There's some wisdom there. So, true wisdom resides in the heart. And there these, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, are the source of conflict in the body. At the end he gives an exhortation. Do not boast and be false to the truth. False wisdom's proof, then, is a proud heart and bad fruit. Just as true wisdom is seen by a godly life and a gentle and humble spirit, here, false wisdoms, hell's wisdom, as we'll see, is seen by a self-centered, proud, it's all about me. It's the opposite of meekness. If meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance, this is being overly impressed. And so... Both wisdoms are identified by their fruit, a proud heart, and then we're going to see the bad fruit. It's going to come up in verse 16, every vile practice and disorder in its wake. You can identify the wisdom by what it's producing in the people involved, whether it's producing peace or strife and conflict. Um, this pride corrupts wisdom. Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen. God speaking to his people Israel, says this, Your heart was proud because of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom. Israel's proud heart corrupted her wisdom. That's why the two can't coincide. If the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, if you are really actually impressed with yourself, you ain't wise. The fear of the Lord is to see God as great, powerful, worthy, wonderful, to tremble in front of him. And when you're doing that, you're not thinking about yourself that's why these are antithetical concepts. Biblical wisdom is rooted in the fear of God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And it grows out of that. False wisdom's proof, a proud heart and bad fruit. And what false wisdom does is it lies against the truth. It lies against the truth. Turn turn to Titus chapter three. James is going to tell us there is an anti-wisdom, a false wisdom. And within itself, it coheres. It has a logic. It has arguments. It has plausibility. So turn over to Titus chapter 3. I'll you an example. Here we have, in the first two verses general commands for all believers how we're to live for them in the Roman Empire we live in difficult times it is difficult to honor those I'm supposed to honor respect those I'm supposed to respect parse out what to do how to act and so we get this clear instruction remind them the them being the churches of Crete remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, there's our word, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. There is plenty of wisdom, even within Christianity, that disagrees with that. And yeah, it's a wisdom of a sort. It works internally of a sort. It's not from God. It's from someplace else. And we'll see where it comes from. But it lies against the truth. And part of the reason why with teachers and leaders this is so bad is people follow their model. If I'm being a jerk arguing and debating, I'm just training those who look up to me to follow my example. The student, after all, become like the teacher. The teacher. And so this is a problem for all of us, but it's particularly a problem for leaders who are filled with selfishness, selfish ambition, and bitter jealousy. Modeling that, lying against the truth. God says, be meek." Jesus says, turn the other cheek. I say, don't tread on me. Right? Ooh, yeah. Because it creeps in. It creeps in. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. That's in the Sermon on the Mount, right? No, no, it's not. Second Opinions, chapter 3, I believe, Um, No, but it creeps in. And it's a wisdom of a sort. It coheres. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There is a wisdom that says, no, don't be submissive. No, don't be perfectly courteous. Speak evil of some people. There's a wisdom that says that and it's from hell. We, there is a way, Jesus models it, Paul models it, there is a way to correct, reprove, rebuke while doing these things. This doesn't mean we're always just being nice. Um, nice is not a fruit of the Spirit. But we need to find the challenge and where we need wisdom is how do I correct Someone. And we learn there's different ways in Timothy, right? Whether I'm correcting someone beneath me or someone above me. I correct my children different than I should correct my mother. Paul tells Timothy, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but as you would a father, right? So it's going to look different. Likewise, when you're the Messiah King and you're not, rebuking Herod the fox is going to look a little differently than when his disciples need to speak out. And the wisdom is, how do I, when it's time to make a correction, when it's time to give a rebuke, and part of controlling the tongue is there are times, how do, how do I do that? Showing perfect courtesy to all, speaking evil of no one. You, you may need to ask for some wisdom. That's going to be challenging. What it doesn't mean is when it's time to tell them what you think, you turn this off and just let it rip and you know let the world know what you think of whatever. That's the ch- you go through the book of Daniel. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand up. They don't flinch. And it's, O king, live forever. Perfect courtesy. Even as I say, we'll never bow down to your idol. You can throw us in the fire your furnace. God is able to deliver us. Whether he does or doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your idol, O king, live forever. That's the wisdom from above. But this wisdom is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So, positive observation, true wisdom source is from God. Here he names the two types as the wisdom from above and below. Wisdom's source is God. You need wisdom. It's again getting back to this Jewish Christian understanding of wisdom. It's not knowing things, it's skillful living. You need to go to God for that. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. 1 Corinthians 130, the passage that Jacob taught in part last time when he preached, says this, because you are in him, Jesus Christ, who has become to us wisdom from God. Or Colossians chapter 2, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden All The treasures of wisdom and knowledge If there's a treasure of wisdom It's in Christ There is no wisdom of this sort Outside of Christ So either it's in Christ Or it isn't wisdom Not in this sense What's false wisdom's source? And here we see James Do what he likes to do He escalates He starts someplace You'll be a little uncomfortable with And ends up in a place You'll be very uncomfortable with We've already seen that With the tongue Have we not? He starts talking about the tongue. Remember, what sets on fire the tongue? Hell, that's what James had to say. James has no problem getting to the point. And again, it suggests to us that we underestimate the significance. The fact it needs to speak in such strong terms to the church in general assumes we make it too little of a thing. And in my own instance, that's absolutely the case. I'll know that I'm lending a little edge get into my words. A little, a little sword thrust, a little aggression into my words. And I'll say, well, I'm right, so it's okay. Yeah, I could probably be a little kinder and a little gentler, but I'm right. Yeah, says the logic of hell. Go for it. This wisdom is not coming down from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. False wisdom, source, hear your blanks. The flesh, the world, and hell. Those are the three categories. It's earthly. It's of this world. It's, it's natural. It's fleshy. And it's demonic. That's, that's its rationale. It's far worse than we think. And... The danger for us is we incorporate this rationale that says I don't have to be kind to my enemies. I don't have to treat with respect those I disagree with, especially if they're Democrats, right? (laughs) No, perfect courtesy to all. And I'll mock those I'm commanded to honor. And there's a wisdom that agrees with that. And I can find people that agree with them. People will like it on Facebook when I post it, so I know it must be okay, Right? Earthly, unspiritual, demonic, demonic. It's bad. James escalates. He did that with the tongue. You'll see in chapter 4, he does the same thing. What causes quarrels? What causes fights? It's just a quarrel. It's just a fight. Okay, we're in safe territory. Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. So James starts with little quarrel. It ends with murder and war. Same thing here. Same thing here. And then we see its fruit, the demonstration. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, we're back to our two ruling heart motives, there will be disorder in every vile practice. False wisdom's fruit, disorder and conflict. And false wisdom's harvest is every Form of evil. I use the word harvest there because that's what he's going to use of true wisdom. Look at verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And in that sense, wisdom's fruit and God's of above and below couldn't be more different. There's a harvest of righteousness and peace. There's disorder in every vile practice, they couldn't be more distinct. What I want to take with the few minutes we have left is to try to give some practical application. I'm trying to walk through this, but I want to show you what I think it looks like, or at least in my life what it looks like, um, with three points, if you'll bear with me. Three points. First, think rightly about wisdom and maturity. I need to catch myself again and again when I'm cheering on, delighting in that snappy comeback, when I find myself wanting to be the clever guy. Did they think I was clever? Whether it's posting on Facebook, conversation in an elder meeting, talking on the body. Um, I I need to value wisdom, and wisdom isn't being that guy, the mic drop guy. That's not wisdom. It may happen, but you're not seeking it. You're not delighting in it. So I need to check, we need to check how we're evaluating wisdom, and who are we looking up to, because we'll become like what we admire? Do we admire meekness? You don't make good action movies about meek people. Superheroes don't tend to be meek. And so it's easy for our admiration and what we value to get off course. So the first step I'd say to be challenged is, like, do we really value meekness? Or are we in danger of actually delighting in demonic wisdom, the wisdom from hell, the self-seeking Jealous, zealot, selfishly ambitious wisdom. Second, learn to identify identify false wisdom and resolve it. Um, For me, at least, this is the application of of this that's most prevalent to me. I'm a lawyer's son. I'm a linear thinker. I like to reason and debate and argue. And when I first got saved, because I got saved later in life... And I was saved out of a sort of wishy washy, you prayed a prayer eight years ago, don't worry about it, you're good type of Christianity. And I was shocked at how much more the Bible had to say. And so if you take speak the truth in love, I was like, well, speaking the truth, and yeah, that's all that matters. Um, this is still a problem for me, but I was way worse 20 years ago. Um, my wife can talk to my wife, she'll tell you. Um, and so I was so focused on being right. And I would tell myself, even as the the fruit of my debates and my discussions was was people's feelings being hurt, people being uncomfortable, Well, they just can't handle the truth. Truth hurts. Deal with it. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes what the conflict is caused by is truth. That's why the Pharisees hated Jesus, not because he was a jerk. But it's too easy to say, well, the Pharisees hated Jesus. People also can hate jerks. That's also possible as well. And so what I've learned to do... And what I'd encourage you to do is when in your conversations with others, in person, in email, on the phone, on Facebook, whatever, when they start to get sideways, and you you know what I mean, you can feel that tension, things don't seem right, we don't seem to be perfectly at peace, learn, I'm going to use the sports analogy, Greg, to drop a flag. And pause. Pause the discussion. Because this is for me, at least. My temptation is to say, okay, I know it's getting a little weird in here, I know it's getting a little tense in here, but if you let me make two more points and give me 30 more seconds, everyone will see that I'm right and we'll be good. And what I've had to realize is the voice that says that to me is demon. It's demonic. That wisdom is demonic. Or what I used to do, I do a lot less now, is when I argue with somebody and they don't have anything to say, that's when you dump. Because you, know, you go back and forth, what about this? And they say, what about this? And finally, you give them a what about and they're like, I don't know. And now, here's 27 what abouts. Um, it's not gentle. It's not open to reason. And so what I've had to learn to do, and what I need to continue to do, is when I sense, when I realize, man, things are a little wonky here. Things are a little sideways. That means at least one of us in this conversation and our interaction are, have slipped into an earthly, fleshy, demonic way of communicating. It means that it might be me, it might be you, it might be both of us. So let's just pause for a minute. We'll get back to this issue that's important and say, hey... It, is, is it me? Things are getting tense here. What's going on? Am I, have I offended you? Am I acting out of line? Or are you okay? And have that pause and have that conversation. The wisdom from below says, no, ignore it, keep going. God's wisdom is gentle, open to reason, peaceable, and it sows a harvest of peace. So recognize when demonic wisdom is at work and then resolve it. Stop the conversation or pause the conversation and, and resolve it. Root it out. Where is it coming from? Why are things weird here? Why are we not at peace anymore? Consider that it might be coming from you. Um, that, that's critical. And third, and I got to explain this one because I know Pastor Daniel already disagrees with me on the way I worded it. Um, but I'd already gone to print when I asked him about it prioritize communications form over its content. Let me tell you what I mean. Prioritize communications form over its content in conflict, in conflict. Here's what I mean. When I do, um, anyone of you who's done premarital with me knows this is a question I ask and you come back and we talk about When you have one of those disagreements that you invariably have one person saying, Hey, I think you're wrong. And the other person's response is, Hey, I think you're being a jerk about it. Which one's a more important claim? Which one do you resolve first? Which one trumps the other in importance? So you got one party. I think the way you did that was wrong, or I think the way you're doing this is wrong, or I think you're doing this ungodly thing, or I think you're doing this, you're correcting. It's a matter of fact, right? And the response to the other person is, you're being a jerk. Why are you being mean? To which I'm tempted to think that's what people who are wrong say to get off the hook. They might, but it doesn't excuse me to stop being gentle and open to reason. And just because sometimes that's what guilty people do, adopting demonic wisdom and saying, yeah, yeah, whatever, suck it up, buttercup. And so I believe based on this passage, based on 1 Corinthians 13, if I have, what does it say here? If I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong And a clanging cymbal. If I have all wisdom and all knowledge, right? Yeah. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And so what I've had to learn is I could be quoting the Bible word for word in Hebrew. And if I'm doing it with a contentious spirit, it's nothing. It's worthless. I need to stop. And so, if I'm talking with someone and they bring up the question of my, the way I'm saying it, I need, when that challenge, to prioritize maybe I am utilizing demonic wisdom. Maybe I am operating from a heart of conflict. Maybe I'm not being meek. And I need to prioritize that charge and consider it. Put pause on the discussion. Okay. If you, think maybe, if you think I'm being aggressive here, let's stop. Let's talk. We will get back to the thing we're talking about. But you've got to prioritize the form of the content over the content when there's conflict and there's a challenge. It's the same point Jesus made when he said, don't go correct your brother. We've got to log in your eye. Deal with the log in your eye first. Then go talk to him, right? What's the priority? Dealing with myself then... Dealing with the other person. So what I don't mean in prioritize is, as you prepare to speak, put more time into how you say it than what you say. I would say put full due attention into speaking the truth and speaking in love. Asking which one's more important. The truth or love is like asking which wing of the plane is more important. Which blade of the scissors is more important. But in matters of conflict, when you're trying to deal with conflict, and a charge of form comes up how you said it you said it rudely you said it sarcastically I didn't like the way you said it I would encourage you to prioritize consideration of that even if on the other side of that it turns out they were being a big baby no they're usually not usually I'm just being a jerk um, but to prioritize consideration of that first because I have to tell myself again and then because I'm a person who frequently is right technically and where I err is I'm, I'm dead right. I'm, I'm devilishly right. James has already told us demons can have orthodox theology. You believe God is one? Wonderful. You're qualified to be a demon. Demons have got great theology. They do. They just hate it. But they know who God is. They understand spiritual realities, I'm guessing, far better than we do. And once again, oh, you're right. You're quoting the Westminster Confession. You're quoting the Bible. You're parsing your Greek verbs, but you're doing it in selfish ambition with bitter jealousy. You're acting like a demon. This is what I have to preach to myself constantly. And and the danger is to adopt demonic, earthly, natural values and come up with plausible lies to excuse, why it's really not that big of a deal. You've got to understand, I just don't suffer... Fools, gladly. That's a great one. That'll cover a multitude of sins right there. You're not very kind. You know, I just have a hard time with unspiritual people. I'm really glad my Savior didn't. So your last blank, your prioritized communications form versus content. We are going to sing our closing song. I'll bring the uh, worship team up here. Call them up here. And let's close in a word of prayer while, while they come up. We'll pick this up more next week. Um, Lord God. I pray that you would give us hearts that desire your wisdom, desire meekness above cleverness who um, want to make peace rather than be right. I pray that you would um, silence our mouths from boasting about false wisdom. I pray that you would... um, Give us the wisdom we need to live in this world, to walk rightly and righteously. Lord God, I pray that you would um, give us the wisdom we need to obey you. And Lord God, give us more. We need it. Help us to never forget the perfect model of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom, who is meek and lowly of heart. Let us imitate his example. In Jesus' name, amen.